0: optimizing talent, and female leadership in the workplace. Lauren Tucker, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm glad to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Chicago. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about inclusion, optimizing talent, and female leadership in the workplace. All very important topics. They, I think they overlap and go together well. So this will be a fun conversation. As we get started, I wanted to share Lauren Tucker's bio with everybody. Dr. Lauren Tucker is founder and CEO of Do What Matters, an inclusion management consultancy, which challenges the advertising industry's cultural homogeneity through inclusion management solutions designed to foster greater creativity and innovation and drive growth using insights from behavioral analysis, and uses their deep knowledge of agency and market operations to integrate inclusion management solutions into the daily performance of their organizations. Again, a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in?
1: Yes, uh, actually I do because uh, you know we have moved beyond the, just the advertising industry, although that's still one of our most important verticals, but we have also what we call moved beyond DEI. Um, We call it Moving Beyond DEI, How to Manage Humans for the 21st Century. Um, What we have learned over the last um, two years uh, in this very fast uh, evolving situation, really, uh, or culture is that inclusion management, and that's not just about making people feel say, valued, heard, and productive, but it's also about getting the right people into the right jobs, doing the right jobs, elevating their relevant differences so that they can create, innovate uh, product services and content that are relevant and meaningful and memorable um, and remarkable to an increasingly multicultural, transcultural and global world. And so we see inclusion management, especially in an era of talent scarcity, we see inclusion management as the critical um, talent management strategy for managing humans in the 21st century. And we really need to understand that because right now we have basically 0.5 people for every job that is available in the United States. More importantly, though, talent scarcity is a mindset that we really challenge our clients to have, because when you are dealing with innovation, creativity, uh, knowledge and information and service, these are uniquely human capabilities that cannot be relegated to the commodities commodity commoditization that we saw in the 20th century, which I like to call the the century of talent abuse. And for those of us who came of professional age in the 20th century, we were all raised by wolves. I mean, really, we were all raised by wolves and we have not learned the skills, the capabilities um, to really manage humans and deliver Uh, our management, our management mandates um, with humanity. And we've, and and, and I will tell you, young millennials and Generation Z, the big quits going on. It's not stopping because they have other alternatives and they're employing those other alternatives and their values have changed. So we feel we're uniquely positioned to help company leadership, people leaders to go beyond DEI to really focus on process changes that need to happen if you are going to manage humans and manage your your human capital, those assets that are really going to drive growth in the 21st century. And you ignore these changes at your peril um, if you do not really pursue this, this, this pivot in understanding how to manage human capital.
0: Yeah, I, I fully agree with everything you just said. And it's, it's fascinating to me as I, ta- I talk, I talked to a lot of people in a lot of different industries, a lot of different kind of leadership levels and positions. And I hear people sharing your perspective, but I also hear many people basically complaining about, These young entitled millennial and Gen Z workers who just need to like suck it up and like everyone else had to like pay their dues and they should too and blah 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 blah. And I think, well, okay, I mean, you you have every right to feel that way if you're an old white dude and you feel like these younger millennial or Gen Z uh, workers should just do what you did. You you have the right to believe that. But guess what? If you create that kind of an environment, that situation, are they going to come work for you? That's the question, and the answer is a resounding no, they're going to vote with their feet. They're going to go somewhere else. They have options. Their priorities are different. Their values are different. They don't, in many, in many cases, not, I I don't want to to, uh, paint with too broad of brushstrokes here. It certainly this comment doesn't apply to everyone who's a millennial or Gen Z, but, but increasingly you see millennial and Gen Z's that are just opting out of traditional societal norms around what it means to now be a young adult to be uh, starting their career, you know, things like the suburban lifestyle and buying a home and like those types of things. They're just saying, No, I don't care about that. I don't want that. I want more independence. I want more. uh, I want more flexibility. I want to do things that matter. I want to make a difference. And so many are adopting gig work opportunities or or utilizing various platforms for contingent work uh, and contract work and those sorts of things. There's all sorts of ways that that um, younger workers are entering the workforce, and increasingly it's not in the traditional ways. And it's because the traditional ways don't work for them and don't mesh with their, their values and their priorities. We can bemoan that all we want, but that's the reality. And we can either figure out how to shift so we can attract and retain good talent from that demographic, or we're going to suffer and pay the consequences. We're just going to be completely irrelevant as employers, and no one's going to want to come work for us.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, it's interesting, and we don't tend to talk about this because it, you know, it seems like a 20th century concept, but I would argue that it's a recurring concept in all centuries, and that is what we are really experiencing is a huge generation gap um and we need to address that and the boomers who grew up in the greed is good in 1980s and 90s where accumulation of things was everything and um you know kind of bastardizing even you know the 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 values of their parents which were I want to make sure my kids have a better life than I do, right? That was, you know, I my father was in World War II, um, was in World War II, and it was really about, you know, I want to make sure my, my kids have a better life than I did. This is an opportunity to, to do that. I'm going to work hard to take care of my family. I think in the the the, the 80s, 90s, and, and early 2000s, it became about, I want to, you know, you know, whoever has the most toys wins and whoever's kids has the to- most toys wins. And it became, a, it became a soullessness that I think by the time we got to 2008, um, many of those kids saw their parents' uh, house of cards fold, right, that just fell down. And that was as probably pivotal as it was for my dad living through the depression. And I think it restructured um, uh, expectations of life, uh, of values, what work really meant, that loyalty. We knew way before 2008, right? Uh, the, the 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 mergers and acquisitions that happened in the late 90s, early 2000s left a lot of people out of jobs, no loyalty. Um, and so these kids grew up with an idea that okay, work should probably not play as big of a role, not to say that it shouldn't be meaningful and do not, I'm not gonna allow people to tell tell me that I'm saying that. It's not that work isn't meaningful. It's that they require meaningful work and meaningful work is defined differently. Either they need to feel they're part of a higher purpose, that they're in an organization that appreciates them, that recognizes them. We know this from the data, like tons of data that's out there. We collect that data with our partners at Talent Keepers, but you'll see that data being collected you know, globally by uh, places like Gallup and McKinsey. We all know it. I don't know how many more data points you need to see, right? That work needs to be meaningful, but that how they define meaningful work is either I feel a part of something that's bigger than me, which means companies need to do a better job at defining even if they're making widgets, what you know, what role do these widgets play in people's lives, et cetera, et cetera? They need to be more thoughtful and intentional about defining what that means. Or the meaningful work is whatever allows me to live my life on my terms. So, um, and with you know, with young folks who are people of color, uh, and particularly African Americans, a lot of what they are doing is entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm investing in my education. and for these folks who are under the age of uh, twenty five, when they can't run for office at least in the United States or they can't, you know they can't run for Congress, they can't and they don't feel their votes count, making you know creating companies that provide generational wealth um going getting that education these become inherently political acts this is where they start to exercise their political power you know somebody who does this really well is somebody like you know Shaquille O'Neal you know everybody you know there are a lot of people that poo-poo him he's on every ad you get tired of seeing him sometimes but what's really interesting about Shaquille that kind of differentiates him from LeBron not saying one is better than the other but Shaquille's just gone out. He's on boards. He's invested in his own advertising agencies. He's invested and he's taken um, influential positions uh, in companies uh, because his goal here is to invest in underserved communities or to at least control uh, companies where they have made had egregious incidents that have articulated racist policies. And he's just saying, okay, I got the money and the intelligence and the education, and I'm going to change these things. That's an inherently political act. So I think boomers dismiss these dramatic changes. Boomer leaders dismiss this at their own peril. And don't get me wrong. I am a boomer. I'm a trailing boomer um and but i do i will say that in some ways and i think this is part of the african american especially african american female experience is that our identification with generations is quite fluid we have to do whatever we can to hustle especially as a as a black woman i have found uh, how how difficult it is for black women to get the kind of championship they need i got Many coaches, people want to tell me how to act and how to talk. I got plenty of cheerleaders on the sideline hoping I'll win. But finding champions that get in the game and spend that cultural, social, political uh, and fungible capital, right, to, to help you make the plays that help you get to the goal line, very difficult to do.
0: Yeah and I love your focus on the inclusion and the connection with activism and your your example of Shaquille O'Neal is really interesting and and let's not forget he's now Dr. Shaquille O'Neal uh which I think is is fantastic and we we shouldn't uh forget and and you're a doctor as well and uh you know I think we give people their due for the the efforts that they've put into their own learning and growth and, and development and, and what they can offer. And he's not just a an ex-athlete, right? Yeah. He's not just a sports commentator. He's much, much more than that. Let's yeah. not diminish his efforts by, you know, framing it that way, right?
1: Yeah, got his PhD in it. Uh, actually, I was just talking to my team about this. He got his PhD in business administration. I am not sure. I, I, I want to say Florida International, but I'm not, I don't think that was, that was it. But he got his PhD very early on after his um his retirement from uh basketball which led me to believe he was probably working on it before he actually uh retired uh but his intentionality in what he's doing is is a model that i think especially young people of color are are really embracing and you're seeing this uh you know uh, there's that show called the sweet life uh with uh, Issa uh, ray i think um where again, young people of color, young African African Americans are investing in businesses in Compton, um, in, in, in Los Angeles, we see it here in Chicago, uh, an embrace of the pathways to success that are offered by still offered by education and uh starting your own business. And I would argue that we don't often highlight these, these efforts. But these are political acts as much as financial and career acts, and we have to recognize that. That these are folks that are saying, you can take my voting rights away, but I'm still going to pursue my generational wealth. I'm going to pursue success on terms that are often very much admired um, in this country. So I think it's really important um, to also recognize that we need to champion these efforts. We need to get in the game and help them win.
0: Yeah, so how can leaders, CEO, C-suite, all the way down, how can they better lead and manage their teams and and lead out on employee activism and creating an environment where that can happen?
1: First of all, you have to stop with the arrogance. Um, There's an arrogance, and I'm just going to say it. You you know, John, you're going to know I'm straight in a chaser, right? I'm not going to... Many of my my own team kind of worries somewhat a bit on my uh, unfiltered. Uh, I'm trying, you know, I try to be respectful, but there are just times when I I just have to say it. There's an arrogance that needs to be abandoned. Um, abandon the arrogance that comes with power, but stop abdicating the responsibility that comes with power. And that's what I've been seeing too much of. And when I say that, I also mean. Too many of these company leaders, the C-suite and the next level of directors, managing directors, they've abdicated the responsibility. And what they've done is they've said, well, we're just going to hire chief diversity officer. We'll just let our chief talent officers deal with it. They don't give them the resources, nor do they give them the support that they need to chart a new course of learning and development, starting with the C-suite. So what happens, and I talk about this all the time, is we end up with diversity theater. And this diversity theater, you know, sounds like the script is great, but the actors kind of (laughs) suck, okay? And what we end up with is uh, a situation where I was just, um, you know, I get a lot of young people, especially young people of color mid-level, senior-level executives, which everybody says they're all looking for, but we can't find them, right? We can't find them. Well, she had gotten uh, this one latest incident where she had gotten an excellent uh, an excellent reference from somebody in the company that she was pursuing in terms of a job. And she got uh, responses back. And you know, you've seen it, John. We've all seen it. Emails that come back talking about how crazy busy they are um, not acknowledging that here's this great talent that's just been handed to them as a gift, but instead their response back to this great talent is how busy they are and and an itinerary of their next two weeks as to why it is they can't, you know, engage. Who does that? That's not even a lack of, of, you know, professional training. That's just a lack of home training. That's a lack of treating this this incredible talent as the human that she is. What should have been said is, wow, it's so great to meet you, Um, that there should have been a thank you to that person who gave the reference, right? That's a colleague of yours you've just disrespected with your crazy busy and your itinerary for the next two weeks. Um, But it should have been, wow, thanks a lot for the reference hey, it was so, it's so great to meet such a great talent, um, would love to meet with you. How, how does, how does uh, you know, the, the week after next look for a conversation? But what we're not doing is we're not training our managers and our directors, right? So we can talk a good game in the C-suite. We can hire a chief diversity officer. But if the policies, policies and the processes are not backed up by training a different mindset and a different way of acting. And quite frankly, just the home training these people should have known all along, then we have that gap between the script and the actors. And it becomes performative and it becomes unsustainable. It undermines the sustainability of these DEI efforts. And quite frankly, of of the talent management efforts that need to happen in an era of talent scarcity. And again, I will say we should always be in that era. We should always be in that mindset. I don't care whether there are 500 people for each job or a half a person for each job. When you're talking about human capabilities, talent is always scarce because you need to get the right person for the right job in the, in the evolution of your company. And that's critical. And you can't do that if you've got, if you've got managers who are responding to talent in ways that are just not reflecting of of humanity. Wow,
0: there's so much you said there. That is just awesome. And yes, we, we can't just do go through the performative actions, we have to actually disrupt, you know, the systems, the processes, the policies, practices, and procedures within the organization that are problematic, uh, that that uh, pers- allow the the inequities to persist, right? Uh, that has to happen. And just hiring, you know, having the rhetoric around DEIB and hiring a chief diversity officer, uh, that alone won't do it. And I've seen this so many times, I've seen so many organizations, where I mean, I guess on the one hand, I got to give them credit. At least it's something they're paying some attention to now, and they weren't even paying attention to it at all before. But if you hire a chief diversity officer or put together your your diversity committee or whatever, and you don't like give them resources, you they don't have like top down buy in from the executives. Guess what? They're not going to be able to accomplish much of anything. Uh, and I, the one organization I'm thinking of, they've they've put a lot of effort. They 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 legitimately have put a lot of money, time, and effort into diversity, equity, and inclusion in their organization over the last decade. Um, but they had a a top leadership change maybe three or four years ago. Uh, this new person was not on board the same way as the, the last um, CEO. Uh, and it's shown and it's it's impacted things. And and there's a huge diversity crisis and inclusion crisis in this organization where all of their best diverse talent is leaving. <laughs> they're all bailing and jumping ship because they don't want to be around all of the constant microaggressions. They don't want to constantly be told to, that they're in charge of fixing a problem that wasn't theirs in the first place that, you know, that they didn't make. And, and so that kind of stuff is just so aggravating. So yes, as CEOs, we got to check ourselves. We got to get beyond our own arrogance, have some intellectual humility. We need to truly be behind diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging efforts, and support it, not just in word, but indeed also with the resources so that it can you know, be successful. And ultimately that will give us a better chance to, to create an environment where people truly feel like they belong, that they truly want to be there. We'll be able to attract and retain really great people from all different walks of life, uh, all different types of diversity, including cognitive diversity, all sorts of things that will help the organization be stronger and will help us stand out as an employer of choice within a crowded job uh, labor market, right. Where people have options.
1: it drives it also will drive revenue. Talent is your engine of growth. So in the company that you're referring to, the correct, the real question, the real proof in the pudding is going to be how long can they sustain, you know, revenue and revenue growth, right? It, you know, nobody's going to go out of business here, but the bottom line is there's always going to be a competitor that's going to, that's going to manage their assets, their human assets better than you. And that's going to deliver better returns, better growth, better profitability. And here's the thing, CEOs and COOs that do not understand this, ignore this at their own peril. So that's the reason why we focus on helping companies implement new processes for managing talent, for managing talent. I cannot emphasize this enough that It is beyond DEI. It is managing talent better. It is minimizing those operational inefficiencies that foster bias and exclusion, but also undermine the creativity and innovation required to compete effectively in the 21st century. And that means not only just changing the processes and the systems that are inefficient, right? That's what we focus on. We don't talk about white fragility and white supremacy, we talk about operational inefficiencies that are dragging down your business. And then the key is create learning and development so that the actors can execute the script, right? If you don't do both, then you're not going to get the benefits that inclusion management can give you that will help you drive profitability and revenues from your core engine of growth, which is your human capital, the humans that work there. And I, we always argue that we start with inclusion first because diversity first hurts everyone. We talk about start with inclusion first, get your house in order, get your culture to reflect the intentions of your leadership, but more importantly, get your culture trained up in the kinds of efficient talent management operations that are needed in order to grow and drive growth and sustain it in the 21st century. And what happens to people of color, to people who are not of the the majority culture, they're the canaries in the coal mine. It's not as if, you know, black people or women or Latinx folks or whoever is asking for something different. They're just asking for the same things that the miners are asking for. It's just that they're more vulnerable when things go awry. They're the canaries. They're the ones that die first, right? But the miners aren't doing so great either. We're not trying to fix the canaries here. We're trying to fix the mine. And the mind must change and it must evolve because the economy has changed. We have a different economy and that economy is driven by those uniquely uh, human capabilities. And managers and leaders who are in this boomer generation need to review their business history and realize how much things have transitioned since they were coming a professional age.
0: Yeah, well said. Lauren, I know at the time I need to let you go here in just a moment. So many great things that have come up in this conversation. We've only scratched the surface and we could go on and on and on for hours, I think. But we're going to have to end there today. Uh, before we wrap up, though, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Yes, well, uh, definitely check us out at letsdowhatmatters.com. Uh, we have a, we've a we just, uh, Redone our services page. We have a really great, um, what we call our desired future assessment where we can really measure both uh, engagement kind of horizontally as well as inclusion. And we're able to connect the dots between expectations and actual impact um, with that assessment and help people with roadmaps, with strategies on how to use inclusion management successfully. So please visit us at, at Let's dot com because, you know, there's just we can't get around this. We have to manage humans better for the 21st century. And that starts with treating them with humanity and putting in processes that will help us uh, do that and deliver on the growth expectations as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Lauren. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Lauren can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please